0: Welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're gonna put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, associate producer and Starista's creative copy manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In our first multi-guest episode, Vincent and AJ catch up with returning guests, Amin Makani, Senior Vice President, Growth Strategy, Bento Box, Nick Panay. CMO, and Amelia, and Carolina Kocheleski, VP of Global Head of Marketing Communications at Orion Innovation. They discuss innovations on the lead generation front, the biggest changes each organization has undertaken in the last year, as well as how each guest's role within their own company has shifted. AJ buys a new laptop, and Vincent is feeling very special. Give it a listen.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, hello, it is me, Vincent Petrofesso. What does that mean? Well, it means it's the marketing stir, but not the regular marketing stir, a very, very special marketing stir. This is the first time in the marketing stir history, it's been like a year, let me not get carried away here, right? But in the marketing stir history that we are doing a multi-guest podcast. Why? Because we've had so many amazing guests on so far, we said, let's bring some of them back and let's focus on a topic that people, you, the audience would be interested in. And the first topic is something that I'm very much interested in because of course, I'm the vice president of B2B products and partnerships here at Starista. And that is how the role of marketing and the expectations of B2B marketers are changing. And we have an amazing lineup of guests. So I'm going to get to them first, but first, you know who's with me, ladies and gentlemen, my CEO, Mr. Aj Gupta. What's up, Aj? Hey,
2: Vincent. To celebrate this occasion, I bought myself a new laptop. So
1: nice. That's Coming across it. In
2: high def now.
1: Come across and hi- upgrade. I love it. I still have the Gateway One Thousand that you guys gave me when I started. So uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, but uh, that's awesome. You know, how's it working?
2: So far, so good. We'll see how it holds up in the podcast.
1: You'll be all right. You'll be all right. It is great to see you. Uh, Really quick, is Terista, the latest announcement. Omna, I love that. That just went out, ladies and gentlemen, who are listening. Omna, it's our new identity graph. You'll see a cool video that just came out. Check out our page on LinkedIn or go to our website, starista.com. Enough about that. AJ, we've got a special one today.
2: Oh, yeah. This is going to be A historic moment for our podcast, which is nearing almost 100 recorded episodes already.
1: Yes, uh, recorded and then releasing. You know, we've released over uh, close to 70. We got a lot recorded. Uh, Something tells me we're going to move this one up. No offense to all the other guests out there, (laughs) but we're going to move this one up. We have three amazing guests. Three of my favorite people in this industry. Four, if you count you, AJ. I wouldn't leave you out. But three of my favorite people. Let me just go through first, ladies and gentlemen. First, from Bento Box, the SVP Growth Strategy. That's a promotion, sir. Don't think I didn't notice that. We're going to talk about that. Amin Makani is here, and then also Nick Panay from. Amelia at IP Soft Company, you remember that episode, we had so much fun, oh my goodness, and then my friend, hailing from the Bronx, ladies and gentlemen, Carolina Kochalevsky from Orion Innovation, she's the Vice President, Global Head of Marketing and Communications, all in marketing, Nick is the CMO, I forgot to mention that, how dare I, he is the Chief Marketing Officer, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of The Marketing Stir.
0: Thanks for having us.
1: So great yeah,
0: to really excited to do this.
1: It's great to see you all again. It has been for some of us, right? It's been uh, a, a few months. It's been almost a maybe a year. Not, I don't think it's been a year. We've talked to a lot of you, but but let's start. I want to go to my friend Carolina, Carolina, and then the rest of the group here, Nick and I Amin. Mean, For those of you out there who hadn't listened to their individual episodes, I suggest you do. It's excellent, excellent content. I would love for you to give a brief overview of the company and your role for the audience. Let's start with Carolina, then let's go to Amin after.
3: Thank you Vincent, great to be here. So yes, I work in the B2B space for a company called Orion Innovation. Orion is a leading digital transformation and product development services firm. We deliver business transformation rooted in digital strategy, experience design and engineering. We've been around for 25 years uh, so uh, you know we're quite a mature company but we've tripled in growth over the last few years. So it's been a real rapid um, growth story for us. We went from 1,400 employees to 5,000 employees. uh, And just in the last couple of years through a very aggressive growth strategy. Our clients are large enterprise clients mostly across a number of verticals, professional services, telecommunications, life sciences, uh, financial services. I joined two years ago um, as the head of marketing and initially my role was to bring all of the, the companies that we've been acquiring um, all under one corporate brand umbrella. Um, we During that time we shifted our, our go-to-market strategy to uh, um, uh, a strategy where we're focused on our large verticals. And with that, I built a marketing operation where we could uh, grow um, our existing accounts, bring in new accounts. And, um, you know, ha- having been a small company for uh, a long time, we really didn't have um, a very big marketing focus. So it, it's a new function to the company. Um, uh, uh, everything's up for grabs. We're we're doing things differently. And um, we are targeting, you know, through, into our key verticals now. So the ABM topic perfect for us
1: right now. That's awesome! I, I love it. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, I mean, and and don't don't think I didn't notice that promotion, sir. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I, I love it.
0: Thought. Come I on, thought. yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah, yeah, tell us about that. Tell us about uh, you know that your new role uh, true, true. at Bento Box, and tell the people out there who are listening about Bento Box.
4: Yeah, first let me talk about Bento Box. Um, Bento Box is a, a software business that focuses on. Uh, the hospitality industry, restaurants. So it started as websites uh, because restaurants had to either go through an agency where they had no control Uh, to get a nice design or they had to do it themselves on Squarespace or Wix and then it would be very difficult for the website to look nice or for people to access the things they needed or to add events. So it was a platform that where we did it for you but also you could update it on your own and was restaurant specific so all of the features were what you wanted and you could update it in in an intuitive way. That's how the business got off the ground. But now it's really you know our mission is to empower restaurants in their mission of hospitality, so anywhere that we can in, enlighten the in engagement between the restaurant and the diner, so whether that's online ordering or gift cards or events management or making sure the websites are uh, accessible, that, that they, they fit through uh, the ADA guidelines, and so th- all those those interactions between the diner and the restaurant is where we want to uh, be, and and that's and that's the software, and so that's Bento Box. Um, and then my role, uh, I was uh, running the growth marketing department, um, which is you know customer acquisition and also uh, expansion um, It's uh, outbound as well. But um, but as this year, we had so many changes to the company, to the team. And I took on a lot of different hats in like driving uh, more orders for our customers, which is really more like a product role. And and then also I took on a finance role as we had a gap there. And so as I've been moving around the company in different roles, um, it, I think it made, the CEO thought it made sense for me to move more in a role that's like the future, that's the strategy for the future of the business. As the business has pivoted a lot in the last year. How can we, um, keep doing that so that's like how my role is also i'm going on uh parental leave in about three four weeks i have a baby on the way oh so- nice congratulations thank you thank you thank you
1: that's awesome so that's great news all around that's uh, I did yeah, not I by know- the time this
4: airs i'll have
1: Right, I'll probably have a baby by the time. Yeah, I th- I think uh, maybe not. Well, you know, yeah, I think a couple of weeks. So we'll we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. That's awesome. Uh, I I love hearing that. And you know, I, I think about every time I go to my uh, Bubby's. It's a restaurant in New York City. Which which you live in New York City like me. Uh, I mean, uh, I think of you because bento box pops up every time I, I click on it. Uh, that is awesome. And then uh, finally, my friend Nick Panay, Chief Marketing Officer of Melia. So great to see you again, sir. Tell us a little bit about Amelia, uh, as well as your role.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Vincent. Thanks for having me. Great to see you guys again. Um, So Amelia is a conversational AI enterprise uh, software company. Uh, Conversational AI, for those of you who are not familiar, is what the name suggests. It's all about software that knows how people communicate. Uh, and is able to reflect that same ability to communicate with humans. As you know, humans, we, uh, we're a little messy in our communication style. You know, we change context, we, we have different accents and we have, we speak different languages uh, and we change our minds about something and we we'll go back. Machines usually have a hard time understanding that. Uh, and that's where conversational AI comes in. So the ability to think and communicate as a human uh, and then our software then enables action and also think about a call center environment where uh, we call them digital employees. So instead of a human employee, you get a digital employee. Ours happens to be called Amelia. And Amelia uh, converses with the customer, understands the intent, which is the most important part. Once she understands the intent, she takes action on behalf of the customer, whether it's canceling a credit card or getting uh, the latest invoice uh, sent to them. And then uh, she closes the loop, right? So that's just the call center environment, IT help desk, HR help desk, especially all of us now being remote. A lot of companies are strained by the, um, the need to support more and more remote workers. Um, people who never done VPN before, people who haven't set up their own Home office, video cameras, and things like that. Before they need a lot of help, so it's uh, it's a technology that's very very interesting. Again, AI is pretty hot right now. Conversational AI is the space we're in. I've been in the business for almost two years now, uh, and I've come from large companies to small companies, but mostly in technology, and mostly in uh, uh, in enterprise space, or at least in definitely in B two B most of my career. So. It's been a blast. We know we rebranded the company from IPSoft, which was the legacy business, to Amelia. And looking forward, we have some interesting, uh, interesting inflection points ahead of us here in the near future. So next time we talk, we'll have some exciting news to share. I believe. So yeah, thanks for having me again. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, all.
0: Hey, great
2: to see you guys. I, I go from talking to engineers, where I'm the extrovert on the call, and then joining Vincent on podcasts where I feel like the biggest introvert. So it's like a hard <laughs> balance. <laughs> uh, but, you know, one of the challenges and uh, that most companies are having now is with uh, lead gen. A lot of the traditional sources like in-person conferences have gone away. So salespeople around the world seem to be frustrated and uh others are frustrated with uh, the LinkedIn messages they're getting all of which seem pretty generic so would love to know what you guys are doing for lead gen and we'll uh start with Amin
4: oh yeah sure I'll go I um I want to say something that that I think I don't know how many people that follow your podcast are um into that 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 follow search advertising a lot but there's some really interesting things in search this I know it's just like meat and potatoes kind of stuff but um you know, in the past it was like search, you'd really focus on like certain exact match queries or maybe phrase match queries and you'd, you'd bid on those and you'd get good uh, ROI because you had narrowed set. But search is transforming. Google recently said that uh, 15% of searches every day, they've never seen before. It's a unique search term that has never been searched before, 15% every day. Mm-hmm. So, so if, you, if you go narrow, you can keep your ROI good. But if you go broad, you might unlock something that you didn't even know was possible in terms of volume. And I think that the, the I think everyone is still catching up to this kind of thing. So if, if you, and, and I've been saying kind of a, uh, you got to break a few eggs to get an omelet because you're going to get some, some wasted spend and you're going to get some bad leads and you're going to get some waste. It is, but, but it's a process to be able to like really grow your reach especially in a time like this where it's sometimes harder, search 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 behavior is changing a lot. Search uh, kind of queries are changing a lot. So uh, just take a look at your search. You might find something there that you weren't expecting because of the behavior. Consumer behavior has changed so much in search in the last even three, four years with voice, with mobile, uh, just with the length of queries.
2: And then we'll go over to Nick next.
0: Yeah, it's a great question, and I've, I've uh, learned a lot just by hearing I'm in here in the last few minutes. I, I will tell you, I will reflect the same thing. In that search for us has been the best producer of qualified leads. Let's put it that way. So, if you if the direct question is, you know, what's the most effective tool for us, aside from organic traffic, which everyone understands, if somebody comes. Organically looking for you, you're more likely to get a better qualified. The next, the next really tool for us is uh, is SEM. But I, I always caution all of my marketers and, and my teams to 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 think about you know cross attribution and, and and you know cross channel attribution. Marketing is not as simple as that. Um, there's everything lifts some weight somewhere. You know whether it's some PR that they've seen before. So when they do a search, they see the name and something triggers in their head, oh, I've seen this company before, or the website that's looking, you know, better than average. So that leaves an impression. So next time they do a search again, they're likely to click on you. Don't forget, I mean, there's always competing dollars for those search terms. So it's not as simple as just buying those terms. You have to do all those other good things that we all need to do, but it's in terms of pure lead generation, uh, that's the tool that we, uh, we look to the most.
2: And then finally, Carolina.
3: Yeah, so we too, I mean, we, we, traditionally we hadn't spent a lot on on, um, on Google search campaigns, but we, we've gone down that path through the pandemic and it, it also is yielding some some great results for us. Um, generally, you know, we've been really focused on LinkedIn as, as our, um, you know, for us, it's it's a complex sale. It's a solution sale, and uh, we have a lot of followers. We've been growing our followers. Um, a, a huge tactic in doing that is um, all the content that we've been putting out um, very specific content around digital transformation topics, uh, and and our webinars. You know, I mentioned that in the in the last podcast. We're continuing with those. Um, we've rebranded them to Orion Talks now, and uh, so Orion Talks. Uh, all formats. You know, now we're, we're including more uh, clients and prospects and, and them telling their stories of uh, transformation. It, it's really them as the heroes. And uh, we're finding that that kind of content um which is a little bit longer form, people are very um, interested in in hearing those stories. So it's been very successful for us and um, it helps really get, get us some really good qualified leads. Beyond what search, I mean, the Google search program has been more around our technology products, our intellectual property, where we have something to demo. So we've utilised both strategies for the different types of products and services that we have
1: and like uh, carolina i want to stay with you for a moment there for first i want to let you know the audience know it's uh, orion talks you know check out the the webinar series we've heard some from so many podcast guests One of the things they did differently over the last year was, well, we started, we we, we did webinars and normally our webinars used to get like seven people and now they're getting, you know, 300 people and they having to update the, the, the software that they even use their web, uh, their webinars on. So that's been, been great news, but Caroline, I want to stay with you and talk about, uh, tell the audience the, you know, primary targets or industries that Orion Innovation is going after. And, and has that changed in the last year?
3: Um, yes. Yeah, so, so our, our primary industries are professional services, financial services, telecommunications, and life sciences. We, we have a few others, but there are big, big verticals with some some big clients and big transformations that are happening in those industries. Um, it, it hasn't changed, but we have grown. We have grown and our, our, um, our domain depth is very strong in those areas. Our client expertise is very strong. So um, what's what that's done for us is that it's made us focus uh, our messaging just around those verticals because this is really where we're targeting. This is where we have clients, where we're doing cross-selling. Our capabilities have grown over the last year. Um, you know, much as it was a pandemic, we our company bought four, four companies <laughs> all remotely, <laughs> so it was it was very hairy for us. Um, but but if anything, what it's done is it's it's focused us on look, this is where we need to tell our stories as marketers because uh, this is where um, the, the most painful transformations are happening and where, where industries are really evolving very rapidly and where the pandemic has, has actually impacted them in, in how they do their business. So um, we, we've been innovating with our clients and creating new intellectual property.
1: Thank you. And, and Nick, you know, I, the same question for you. I I, would love to understand, you know, what uh, targets you go after there, what type of companies that would be able to implement the, you know, the artificial intelligence and how's that changed over the last year for you?
0: No, it's a great question. And actually that that brings up an interesting point. I think in sometimes companies tend to do well in in certain industries at first, and then you get to thinking, well, these are our industries. So we focus here. So we try not to do that, right? Because there's other industries that we may not have had success yet because we simply haven't tried. So we, we're careful to kind of balance that, right? But traditionally, again, conversational AI comes in, in two flavors usually. is an internal use case and an external use case. Internal use case is either IT help desk or HR help desk or something like that. Every company in every industry has an IT help desk and an HR help desk. So the variable there is really more one of size, because the bigger your scale, the bigger the value you get out of conversational AI. So that part of it is pretty horizontal. The end user, um, the end user use case, meaning supporting end user customers, that comes in industries that have a lot of customers. So traditionally, telecommunication, healthcare. Finance, insurance, those and those have been the industries that have been the first, you know, movers in that space because they have thousands and thousands of customers, and therefore the value they get out of putting conversational AI in the call center, for example, increases exponentially.
1: Thank you for that. And and I mean, now for you, I, I know, uh, you know, restaurants. I feel like restaurants. That's something that. Know you don't have to be a B two B marketer. You don't have to be a business professional. I think restaurants have uh, the transformation, the closing down of some, the oh, yeah, yeah. all that that's affected everyone, right? You know, your local mom and pop shop, larger chains. Uh, what have you seen has been like kind of the biggest change in the last year with what restaurants are doing? Talk to me about that.
4: I think there's like, I think there's like specifics in the sense that um, ghost kitchens or um, cloud kitchens or however, whatever you call them, the idea that you have a restaurant that doesn't necessarily exist on the ground. They only exist on food delivery sites or on the website and you order from there and you can spin up. I mean, there's a range, right? So there's a restaurant that is like an individual mom and pop that opens a second brand and the second brand only lives online and has certain foods that are like better for ship for delivery and takeout and and you kind of function as two separate brands with one parent, right? Then there's like the more like you're one kitchen or two kitchens in two places and you're 10 brands of 10 different kinds of cuisines and you kind of spin them up and down depending on the interest and velocity of order volume. Like for example, you live in a place that has no Indian food in 30 miles. So you just turn your Italian kitchen into a ghost kitchen that also does Indian food because like, oh, hey, there's a demand for this and no one's, no one's filling the demand. So I think that there's, there's that of like kind of, um, adaptation in general like restaurants are being adapting more to like the needs of the consumer but then there's also just a willingness to embrace technology and i think that there was a lot of restaurant owners who were kind of anti-technology that they believed that technology took away from the experience between the guest and the restaurant the diner and the restaurant took away from the hospitality experience and now you're seeing restaurant owners like embrace technology like what can i use what technology can i use to solve this problem which i don't think was something that, that restaurant owners really i don't think your average restaurant or ever approached a problem with like what technology will solve this and i think that today they're more willing to do so than they were partly you know some of the older restaurants went out of business new restaurants place but also i think some of the even oldest old school restaurant owners have have changed their philosophy on this uh... i can add
2: something
3: you know in terms of um I mean, much as we're still in in the same industries, some of the changes we've noticed that are happening with, with them is that, um, you know, if I can pick, you know, financial services, for instance, um, that has exploded for us. Uh, you know, there's there's been so many changes and things that the financial services industries had had to accommodate for. Um, you know, they have they have legacy systems, and yet um, the the needs of the um, the consumer um were to be a lot more digital and um and their competitive scene changed as well so with the new digital um, players so we've noticed that you know there's been a lot of requests for um you know streamlining of systems um, the experience design you know how how are they designing for uh for a a better user experience Um, there's been um you know the digital contactless payments that that have all shifted in the last year for our clients. Um, So a lot of uh, technology, uh, they're they're bringing in also, similar to to some of our um, panelists here and the uh, products and software that they have, Uh, they're bringing in bots to eliminate some of these repetitive processes. Uh, They're putting in those kinds of technologies, um, help desks. So there's been a lot of activity at Financial Services Firms for, um, for us, you know, for our clients and new clients in actually expanding, um, you know, to newer technologies that address uh, a more seamless experience for their customer. So it, it's been slightly different for us. And we do have um, an experience design group now that, that really has been exploding in terms of how much we've had to grow them to address these kinds of um, shifts that are happening in our own um, clients.
1: Awesome. Yeah, thank you for that.
2: And Carolyn, kind of following up on that, so one of the things we see is just uh, B2B selling has changed, right, so uh, because everybody tends to be more or less working from home except for Vincent, Um, but uh, one of, just as an example, we try to encourage our salespeople now to get cell phone numbers, uh, and we see a direct correlation between having somebody's cell phone number to closing deals just because it's that personal touch, and then, you get to know your uh, prospects, cats and dogs as they kind of walk around the screen as well. So have there been any changes in terms of how your marketing and sales team is going uh, about with their B2B uh, sales and marketing process as well with people working from home in the pandemic?
3: Um, yeah, for us, I mean, it's it's been difficult for our sales guys. They're, they're used to the face-to-face em- environment um, and it has been a bit more virtual, but Um, One thing that we've been able to leverage just having large clients is that um, every business function has their own technology problems. And, you know, once we've done work in one area, we've really had to understand what are the other personas across that that massive client, get a referral in. So that they've learned to do the virtual selling just through virtue of having someone at that client that we've delivered for and, and really digging into what's going on in other parts of the business where we could match some of, some of um, our expertise and really help them out. Um, so it's it's the sales process has shifted a little bit from, from that perspective and really get, getting on a lot more zooms um, with marketing. I mean we're very conscious of the fact that. Um, our B2B buyers are actually expecting a sleek experience as well, just like they're used to in their own personal lives, so as a, as a consumer. So, um, you know, we've had to borrow things from the, the B2C world in terms of our own marketing. We, you know, use more videos, more compelling, snackable content. Um, and so, so we've been very conscious of that. We, we're not only selling, you know, experience design services to them and their clients, but we have to make sure that we too are... Uh, Um, you know, attracting them in the same way and and, and engaging with them in the same way.
2: I mean, how about you guys? Have you seen any big changes selling into restaurants?
4: You know, it's a different thing because it's like the restaurants are still like, cell phones always been this holy grail for us because you call the restaurants and uh the wait staff picks up or whatever. You know, like you can't, you can't, you're not gonna get to the owner by calling the restaurant. I mean you can, it's possible. It's hard though. And <laughs> so like we've always needed to kind of get cell phone numbers in general. That's the thing. Um I think sometimes with like larger hospitality groups that have an like actual office, they have an office and then they have like let's say seven, 10, seven to ten uh concepts that are uh restaurants. Those ones we used to be able to send stuff to the headquarters, but now like people aren't the headquarters anymore. So that's like some things on like the direct mail side for the groups we have trouble for the restaurants the same, right? Because you can just send it to the restaurant, someone will get it. Um I think that's like there's some stuff that's like uh I I feel lucky because um I know some B2B have been using uh IP targeting for a while to get to ABM to like get to serve at the at the at the headquarters using Mm -hmm. the reverse IP lookups. And we haven't been able to use that because the IP addresses of the restaurants aren't on those like demand-based databases. So like we've never been able successful with those, but now nobody can be successful with those. (laughs) So I feel a little bit better that,
0: oh, I'm not the only one missing out.
2: (laughs) And finally, Nick.
0: Yeah, I'll give you like a a bit more of a general answer. The kind of changes that we've seen. I think one of them is regardless B2B, B2C, and this is something that carolina will probably uh, appreciate is the movement towards digital transformation has accelerated significantly right because the pandemic has caused all of these problems that companies have had to come to the surface you know the, the lack of preparation for digital transformation so where it, it was because it was before kind of a, oh maybe we'll get to it when we get to it to where we're going to digitally transform because there is that's the only way to survive going forward so we're seeing that. What does that mean in buying behavior? Is that we're actually seeing more tolerance for a for risk in terms of um, customers who wanna engage, but they wanna do it with controlled risk, meaning a pilot or a proof of concept, which again, from a marketing standpoint is a, is a fantastic thing because gets you a foot in the door, right? And then from there, if you have the right sales organization and the right support organization, you can move further So I think it brings you, it brought us closer to our customers because they're leaning forward a little bit more than they were before. I will say, I I talked to a number of analyst firms and I I sit in on executive councils that we have with customers. They're so focused on customer experience as well. And again, depending on what it is that you market and sell, that is top of mind for them. So for us that plays well into into our model, because we are all about customer experience through digital employees. But again, what, what does that mean? Well, it, it forces them to think about things that they weren't thinking about before. So they're a little bit more open-minded about that cutting edge of things uh, than they were before, right? So they're more likely to experiment a little bit more. So that's, that's a good thing for marketing, right? So we're able to go straight to, let's just do a pilot. Especially in a SaaS world, it's, you know, the risk is pretty manageable. Yeah. Um, so, and the final thing I would say is the, you know, the buying committee that we all know about in B two B. The fact that it's not one person or two, it's twelve. You know, that number continues to grow um, because why? Because all of these things now are really better company kind of investments that they're making. So, they want to have more people involved, more functions when they make some of these technology decisions. So we're seeing that buying the buying committee grow even more. I don't know if that's a good thing or if, or a bad thing, but it's it's a thing, you know. So you, know, you got more people to impress.
1: It's it's definitely a thing. I know. Uh, I I see that too on on the the because I think just maybe uh, budgets are being looked at uh, carefully, or you know, you're really looking at different channels and the different dollars that you're putting efforts into. So yeah, that tends to. Have more people involved, but I, I i think it's I think it's a good thing. I know there's a lot of salespeople out there listening. who are like, wait, I want the least past the resistance. It's like, well, no. Uh, be, be happy that people are making better, I think, informed decisions, mm-hmm. and you know they're really looking at your your uh, whatever vendor or partner they choose carefully.
4: I, I think also part of it is like um, use cases are growing, where like one technology could be used for like not. It, it came to market with one use case. And now it's like, oh, this can actually be used in a bunch of different ways. I mean, even something simple as ours, we used to be more a marketing product, but then with online ordering, there's a lot of ops component uh, in-store restaurant ops that are very important in online ordering. And um, so now it's like, whoever's running the op- restaurant ops has, is really making this decision as much as the person is running marketing. And those are two different people. So as you, as you expand the use cases and the functionality and the different, uh, yeah, the, the buyers gonna grow. It it, it does seem logical, kind
1: of. Yeah, absolutely. And and Amin, I mean, I want to stay with you because you know we talked about how, uh, as a group, how your different customers might have evolved, right? Uh, I would like to talk about personally within your job or as a company that you saw that you had to pivot this past year yeah. and. Talk to me about that pivot. This is for the the group. I want to start with you first and then uh, how you came out stronger. Sure.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, wait, one, I think that, um, we were very lucky that we were working on an online ordering product that was like comparable, same level as the rest of the competitors in the space. And we didn't have to just like spin one. Like, I don't know if you've followed any of the reservations companies. They spun up like online ordering products that were kind of just like hacks based on the reservations. <laughs> like, and, yep. and it's like, not whatever, it's fine. It's, it's, it, you have to do what you have to do. Um, but we were already in, we, we launched in February, which was like one month before. And we had a real product in, in market. So that was great. But I think we, we were used to make, we used to say that every Everyone needed to get the website first because that's the front door, and then you can buy the additional products. But once the pandemic hit, you, restaurants, some restaurants, were like, I don't have time to do a new website. I just need some ordering software. And so we were able to pivot and start serving a larger uh, group of restaurants uh, that maybe weren't ready to switch websites yet. But I think that what, what that showed us was that we could solve a lot of problems, individual point problems, point solutions in, in the restaurant. Uh, business and then over time grow that business but then having that allows us to get to people who maybe aren't thinking of their website brand as important as other customers so like you know sometimes you take your thing and you have a vision you have a vision of what the the customer should want and what is best for them and they have a different vision and 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 when you can find a way to reach more unique types of customers because you're willing to like create a product that's for them, for their vision. I think that that does a lot.
1: And that's what we've seen. Uh, Carolina, how about you?
3: You know, we, we've noticed that um, companies are, are more willing to build their own um, proprietary platforms now. So, so again, we're in the larger enterprise space. And, um, you know, it's, it's often a build versus buy decision that, they, that they're making. And somehow in the pandemic, I think, um, echoing what Nick said, there's, there's more of a... Um, tolerance to take um, a bigger bet on, on how should we really do things. Um, there is, you know, a lot to go and buy software off the shelf, for instance, But and that's fine for a lot of purposes, but it won't always give them, um, you know, 100% of what they're looking for. So that there's, a, there's a small sacrifice if they're willing to have that, that it's not perfect for them. We've noticed that there's more and more um, enterprises out there willing to build proprietary um, tech platforms for themselves and, and that's the business we're into um, so um, it's been a, a, a pleasant surprise for us and uh, it's, it just goes to show that um, everyone is looking to do the right thing from a digital perspective now. It's not necessarily stopgap. gap oh we, we had a pandemic um, it has opened their eyes like, like Nick was saying and uh, they're, they're, they're trying to have a vision for what. How are they going to be serving their their clients better? Um, what what is the demand? How they're going to keep up with the, the, the digital demand? An example would be you know tax preparers um, and, and and the um, professional services space. Um, they, they've got a lot more um, online uh, clients now, and, and not so so they really need to keep up with the volume. And they need to keep up with um, the scale. And uh, will they will they sacrifice to just buy what's out there, or will they? build something so people are investing more and um it's it's been a a nice shift that we've noticed as well
1: thank you uh nick the the same question for you
3: yeah no
0: just just building on what uh carolina was saying one of the areas that we're seeing within this concept of leaning in and, and taking more risk one of the areas that we've seen explode in a good way and it's a shame that it takes a pandemic but you know it is what it is is how incoming requests are being managed right so call centers traditionally have been designed with a failover in other regions meaning okay great you know so if we overwhelm the u.s call center we send traffic to india well guess what india is just as locked down as we are you know and then people are in remote offices or remote locations and they can't get to the same technology that they could before so you pick your enterprise, you pick your industry. During the pandemic, you would call and you would get at least a half an hour wait time before you can talk to anyone. And sometimes two, three hours. That's not a problem. That's like an existential challenge. You know, problems are one thing to deal with. This is existential, right? So a lot of customers are now saying, okay, now that we're almost out of this thing, how do we rethink this entire customer experience cycle? So on the front end, sure, you can have a digital employee and you can answer the phone immediately, like like uh, the technology we have. But then the work that Carolina and her team do on the back end is just as important. Because yeah, sure, you can you can take in the call faster, but then when you hand it off to the CRM system and the SAP system and the financials and all of that, is that digital transformation in place as well? So we're seeing customers who are now willing to take a harder look at their entire customer experience from beginning to end and look for digital transformation there. Um, and I think that's, that's gonna be the next two, three years even more worth of activity. This is not for the faint of heart. This is a, a significant restructuring of how companies do business. Uh, and I think that's at the end of the day, it's a good thing for consumers, it's a good thing for businesses but it's going to be two or three years worth of pain uh, for a lot of them to get there.
2: Nick, a little bit more on the personal side. So, has your role changed over the last year, personally? And do you think it's a temporary
0: or permanent shift? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, it has. You know, I'm not going to bore you too much detail, but I will tell you when when I first joined a company. You know, I wanted to to be in the office, you know, every day. The office happens to be in New York. I happen to be in Northern Virginia. So that basically meant, you know, commuting to New York and then coming home for the weekends. And I did that for a year because I wanted to build it function and and build it solid. And the company culturally was very much about in the office kind of setting. Of course, then the pandemic hit and you know, all of a sudden now that whole culture will goes out the door because the whole company now is rethinking the way we do business. So I now do one week uh, in New York, two weeks here. It's a better balance for me and for my family. Uh, And it's also, I think, a productive way to work going forward. And I find that my employees are feeling the same way. You know, I no longer they no longer feel the pressure to be in the office. So my guidance to them is work from wherever you feel most productive and happiest, right? So if this week means two weeks here, three weeks, three, two days in the office, three days at home, great. If next week it means five days at home because of whatever situation you have, or they have children or some sort of other situation, great. Because at the end of the day, it's the outcome that we should measure not the process of getting that outcome. So at the end of the day, you do fantastic work from the moon. I'll, you can work from the moon. I don't really care. So I think a lot of customers, a lot of companies are rethinking that whole mentality. And I think we're going to end up in a better place. We're going to end up in a nice balance and, and let people work from wherever they feel most productive. So I think that's a, that's a, you know, a positive side effect of an otherwise very bad situation.
2: Carolina, same question for you.
3: Yeah, sure. So, you know, how has the role changed? It definitely has changed. Um, And I don't know that it was necessarily driven by by the pandemic. You know, when I was brought in, it was really a big focus on corporate marketing, building a brand, one unified brand, um, the various parts of our company coming together. And... um, you know, we really celebrated when we got there, a new website, a new way of, um, you know, engaging with our own um, clients and telling our story. But what's been the big surprise is that as we shifted our go-to-market strategy into these core verticals where we have a lot of clients, we have a lot of deep domain expertise, um, there's been an explosion in demand for marketing and for ABM marketing, so, uh, you know that that has been the, the surprise we we not only got our story straight from the corporate side but we're now telling that story um, to others in those industries and my, my own stakeholders are you know everybody wants a webinar with their clients and their prospects everybody wants um, a video that's um, very compelling, but short and snackable, um, but that tells a compelling story. Um, in video infographics, um, w- you know, a lot more help with the targeting that that we're doing in 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 that industry vertical. So the demand. So so. A lot of the corporate marketing, the big work was done there, very, very time-consuming, global rollouts, But now a very quick, rapid shift into ABM marketing. And I think even inside our company, we've shifted from thinking that marketing is going to bring a lot of leads. Um, We did deliver a lot of leads in that year, but it's very difficult to send people chasing around leads um, when in reality we could be a lot more strategic about it. And we can really think about um, who else can we help that's like this client and, you know, where else are these challenges happening and um, and really be a, a lot more um, strategic that way. So that's what, you know, the account, Based marketing framework is forcing us to do take take a look at um, our existing clients. Where can we like you know our panelists like Nick was saying where can we take one use case um, for for a technology we just rolled out and what are other functions possibly at that company that we can augment those those products a little bit and um, and. uh, use use it and, and roll it out there so that's the kind of strategic thinking we've had to do um, around who our clients are who are other target prospects and what kind of marketing and messages can we can we create so that it makes it easier for them to understand what what we can do for them so huge explosion on the abm side we're really just pedaling super fast to keep up with all of our stakeholders um, and it's been a, a nice shift for us
2: and I mean, finally, for you, I know stand-up comedy has been affected.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, my. You know it's funny is I was going to quit the game like two weeks before the pandemic, and then the pandemic quit me. You know, so I didn't. I, <laughs> I think the open mic might be back. Are, are mics back? Do you know,
1: I don't. Uh, I don't know. My my first uh, live performance is this uh, is uh, May first, so this will probably air where, from that. Where but where is it? I'll be at uh, Greenwich Village Comedy Club, oh, sure. yeah, or yeah, Grizzly yeah, Pear yeah. Comedy Club too. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I think I'm starting to get emails from people being like, "I'd like to do the mic on Tuesday." And I'm like, "Yeah." Like open? Why, <laughs> it's why are Like mic?
1: Yeah. No, yeah. I don't think I, comedy I, I, clubs I, are going to open just for the right. mics. I don't think they're going to open, <laughs> for mics,
4: but maybe. Um, yeah. So there's that. But no, I. So um, I. This is like more kind of a macro thing, and I don't know what I don't know how it's going to look long term, but there is like, and we're seeing this with both our customers, but also at our own business, is just kind of like labor shortages where there is like a lot of like especially in tech, there's a lot of fast growing companies that are just swapping up salespeople and marketers and tech and engineers and product people and and even you know GNA folks. And so I think that there is a little bit more like if you're at a fast growing company, even more than before, you might have to wear a couple hats more than you used to have to wear. And, and that's what's happened to me. And I think that I, I think one thing that's good about that is that at least for marketers, if you end up doing it like I, I'm, I'm like doing some finance work, which is probably uh, not exactly common, but still I can kind of bring that lens to marketing about uh roi on marketing spend that they don't kind of look you know they might look at a challenge channel basis like oh this channel is not performing what i need but like well if you turned it off everything would come down you know the other 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 channels would perform worse and so like we can run that experiment but like you have to be ready for the revenue risks to it and and i think that that framing that has allowed it to be a more interactive conversation rather than like you gotta turn this stuff off because it's not performing because um and then you're like, yeah, we can turn it off. We'll prove if it does it does stuff, you know? And I think that um, that that my role has expanded based on kind of, you know, missing gaps in the company. But I think that's going to happen a lot over the next handful of years as like the economy grows a little bit faster than jobs are available, a little bit faster than uh, than uh, um, uh, people have the skills to fill all the, all the jobs that are needed probably over the next couple of years, especially in these like, uh, you know, so you, you read a thing every day, you read a company raised $200 million. It's like, it, it's turning into like a kind of a very common occurrence and they have to, they're going to deploy that money. So I, I think that's going to happen a lot.
1: No, I appreciate all those thoughts. And then, you know, we're, we're almost out of time. That's how, you know, what happens when you, you know, you get great people together and, and people that we know and friends. So, uh, let me just go around, uh, you know, quick, you know, questions, ABM, Nick, I always think of you, uh, you know, when I, ABM, just because of our uh, past conversations on it, can you touch a little bit about what you think kind of the future of ABM is going to look like?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'll, I'll build up on something that I mean just said, because I think it's very important. I think marketers in general uh, are like doctors, right? So a doctor doesn't go into their specialty before they understand how the rest of the body works. So it's the same thing with marketers. They need, to be, they need to have that kind of general understanding of all the functions, frankly, in marketing and, and around the rest of the business before they focus on the specialization. So ABM is one of those functions, right? You don't, you don't throw just uh, an average marketer in ABM. ABM is for the stars. So the ones that have potential, the ones that understand how to work with sales, the ones that understand how marketing works in general, they become ABMers because the ABMers are supposed to be a mini-CMO, as we talked about, right? For you to be the conduit between the sales team and the marketplace, you need to be a mini-CMO. You can't just be a single track marketer. So that's number one. Number two, I believe very strongly that the best instance of ABM is truly a single account, right? So one of the things that has become an interesting discussion point when I talk to marketers is, Some people use ABM as a general term to discuss segment marketing, like five accounts, 10 accounts. Well, guess what? It's 10 of them. It's not one. So they're not alike. No, even if they're in the same zip code, the same industry, the same size, they're not alike. ABM is one-on-one. So to that end, I believe strongly that pursuit marketing is a subset of the ABM discipline that's going to continue to gain a lot of traction and pursuit meaning your strategic deals. Why? Because that's when sales pays most attention. Sales pays most attention when their personal wallet is being impacted. And if that quarter or that year is on the line because of that big deal that you're about to go close, you're going to pay a lot more attention to the ABM or who's working with you to help you close and penetrate that deal. So I think pursuit marketing is a subset of ABM is going to continue to pick up speed. But overall, ABM is just one of those areas you simply can't ignore anymore it's it's going to be more and more an area that people invest in.
2: Carolina final question for you what are some of the trends you think uh, are happening in b2b as we go into 2022?
3: Yeah I think um what, what we're what we're hoping for anyway is that we're seeing better technology come out you know a lot of the technology um has been exploding in this space and it's, it's been difficult to kind of know what, what really could we be using. I think that some of the promise of the technology in marketing falls a little short, um, but, but that's where I think that the next generation of tech that comes out for the space is really going to help us um, have a more of a 360 degree view of our own B2B clients, know more about them, understand those personas so that you know when we do these one to one account based marketing programs for the, for that account. We really understand who the players are at that, that account, and really what 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 is important to them. Um, because we don't have, not, none of us have perfect information. You know, we we, we understand a little bit by by um, aligning with our sales teams and, and seeing what they know. Um, but the rest, you know, what can technology do for us? And I think that um, we're seeing better stuff come out and. Uh, I think that's the future. I think when when someone really ha- creates technology that can really help us understand these these clients, uh, th- these potential clients and, and prospects from um, a personal uh, persona perspective, we'll, we'll we'll come far. So we're looking forward to that.
1: Uh, thank you. And I mean, just quickly about you know some of the you think future trends for the restaurant industry.
4: Oh yeah, man. Um, yeah, I think that like. This is something that that we'll, I mean I don't know we'll see how it works but I think that I think you'll see um, some of the like contact lists, some of the menu stuff the QR code payments I think you'll see some adoption of that post COVID not for health and safety but for um, capturing email addresses and marketing and loyalty programs and um, uh, right now you're seeing um, Uh, Some companies like Wingstop and Chipotle that are just doing phenomenal things with um, marketing uh, technology that is just like ahead of the game. And they're getting 50, 60, 70% of their orders online and they're building more uh, loyal customers and they can get them to come back with app notifications. And your mom and pops can't do all of that yet, but they can partner with technology firms to get closer. And I think that you're going to see that in the next year or two is that it, it, people think about, oh, we use this in the pandemic for pandemic reasons, but now we can use them for um, for business reasons that are unrelated to the pandemic.
1: No, I appreciate it. And I just wanna thank the three of you for joining us on the, the first of our multi-guest series, this has been absolutely, uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, I can't wait until you know there's a, a week when Nick, you're here in New York, Carolina comes down from the Bronx, Amin comes in uh, from Brooklyn, and we all can get together. And this has just been amazing. I truly want to thank you, ladies and gentlemen, these guests again: Amin Makani from Bento Box, Nick Panay from uh, Amelia, Carolina Kochalewski from Orion Innovation. I'm Vincent Petrofessa. That's AJ Gupta. This is The Marketing Stir. Thank you so much for listening and watching. We'll see you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to The Marketing Stir podcast by Stirista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at Thanks for listening.